The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. For many years, I sort of sort of kept in my mind and even in a small notebook, some of these stories that are in this book, because I kind of felt that, you know, people tell you a lot of like, writer struggles and then they succeed stories and i've never found those very useful like those are not the ones that sort of keep you going like it's it's it, they they kind of make you feel like well like what's wrong with me whereas i think the stories that really made me feel better about myself were you know you know knowing that james joyce couldn't get a job at a technical college in italy like they could they refused his qualifications they didn't they did they were not satisfied that he knew how to write English, uh, James Joyce, or that Herman Melville, like, you know, basically wrote a better book every time he went out and got less and less for it every time until he ended up, you know, basically self-publishing a zine and having a novel in his drawer. And, you know, that these stories are actually really quite, quite common indeed. Welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Former Shakespeare professor and author Stephen Marsh spoke with me about how to roll with the punches, finding comfort in the history of writerly failure, and his candid guide on handling a lifetime of rejection on writing and failure. Stephen's a novelist, essayist, and cultural commentator. He was a contributing editor at Esquire, for which he wrote a monthly column titled A Thousand Words About Our Culture. His latest is the book-length essay titled On Writing and Failure, or On the Peculiar Perseverance Required to Endure the Life of a Writer. The Midwest Book Review called it essential reading for anyone seeking to write for a living, be it as a novelist, essayist, poet, columnist, or any other writing genre. Stephen received a doctorate in early modern English drama from the University of Toronto and taught Renaissance drama at CUNY. He's also the author of a half dozen books and has written opinion pieces and essays for The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Atlantic, Esquire, and many others. He's also the host of the hit Audible series, How Not to Fuck Up Your Kids Too Bad, and the sequel, How Not to Fuck Up Your Marriage Too Bad. In this file, Stephen and I discussed why his career has been more than a little weird how to get back up after you've been knocked down, 
Why good writers offer advice and great writers offer condolences. What the writing life offers the uninitiated. Where to hang out with Shakespeare and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by a special guest. I have novelist, journalist, commentator, uh, Stephen Marsh is here joining us to talk about on writing and failure and all things uh, fail-related. Fail <laughs> I don't know what the adjective for that is. We started off with a failure. <laughs> Big fail on my end. Uh, I I am suffering actually from like COVID fog. I uh, just kind of coming out coming out of the COVID fog. You just came out of it, eh? Yeah, yeah. So this is like uh, I haven't had it yet. Oh, good for you. Yeah, this is my second bout. Um, so second I, bout, I sh- eh? Oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think I've had I've got some immunity at this point now, and it, it really was pretty mild a mild case, but um, right. definitely a little foggy. So apologies. I'll live. I'll be smart enough for both of us. Okay, perfect. Um, well, I, I'm counting on you to carry the uh, bulk of the conversation. Of course, I want to talk about on writing and failure, this uh, very, very entertaining and enlightening treatise uh, that we're going to talk about. But yeah, as we do with so many writers, take us back a little bit because you do write about this, of course, at at length in um, your work, but talk about your kind of superhero origins as a writer and uh, yeah, kind of this circuitous career and path to where you are today, because um, I understand that you've been, a, you know, like a columnist for some big uh, marquee magazines and, and, you know, done a lot of writing. You're a novelist, you've written an extensive amount of nonfiction, but yeah, talk about, talk, take us back a little bit and just talk about some about your career. How far back you want to go? You want to go back to childhood? <laughs> like you want to go all the way back to like the very beginning? Well, I mean, talk about how you, you know, how or why you decided to um, strike out on this perilous uh, career. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I guess like when I was a young boy, there were sort of two things that happened. My father, uh, when he was 40, decided to do a PhD. Like when I was about 10 years old. And so we all went to England and he got a PhD in semantics at the London School of Economics. And uh, he would always sort of talk to me about words and talk to me about what he was learning. And and, and um, like, you know, I remember being having when I was very young, having like semiotic theories of Charles Pierce explained to me in quite a lot of detail and ask questions like, do bees talk when they make is that talking when they make figure eights over flowers to warn other bees that that's where they should go and at the same time i had a very very strict english teacher who would make us stand up to attention when he came into the room and taught us really by the methods of the 19th century so like sentence graphs and 
Um, we were on, we only ever we read the Canada Reader, which was like a, a, a basically an imperialist uh, reading anthology from the 19th century, and we would only ever read like 16th, 17th century poets. So Sir Philip Sidney and Ben Jonson, and sometimes Shakespeare if we were lucky. And then from that point, I was really became kind of confused, I guess, that I thought that language was what adults dealt with. Right. And so, and, and, like, and of course I know now that they actually deal with money, but like, but that I, that I, I sort of became really obsessed with language and how it works out. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then basically I've been trying to live with the fallout from that, from the consequence of that love for, from then till now. <laughs> the fallout. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a fallout for sure. <laughs> Like I was, I mean, I, you know, I was a, I, I did a PhD and I mean, I, I think one of the things about careers now, which is sort of what the book is about is just how weird they've become. Like I'm having a very, very weird career. Um, like, you know, 15 years ago, I was a Shakespeare professor in New York writing avant-garde novels really for major presses. And that was, that was my life. Then my wife got a job back in Toronto we've moved back. I had to become a freelance writer. Um, I was a freelance writer and I was, you know, I was a columnist at Esquire for eight years and I started writing for magazines pretty seriously, which is still kind of what I love to do, you know, and then now like, and then the industry has been in such turmoil that I've just been changing all the time. And now I'm, you know, writing nonfiction books and doing audio series and working with, artificial intelligence now and you know it feels like i've had like five different careers as different industries have shattered and evolved you know what i mean like it's yeah. there's been a lot of rolling with the punch in my career for sure <laughs> so you're kind of the definition of rolling with the punches well i i just don't know how like completely different frameworks of meaning have sort of appeared all that like all the time, like multiple times in my life, right? I mean, over the past 15 years, like I, I was a, but in 2016, I was a monthly columnist for Esquire magazine where I made enough from a one column a month to support myself. And that column was like edited five or six times by an editor, right? And already that seems like a different planet, right? Like that seems like some kind of like historical era. And I mean, that was really only six years ago. Right. So there's there, there's so much change and we're adjusting to so much change that it, it's kind of inevitable that you would have a, a you know, I sometimes I think it's not I haven't had a career so much as a careen. You know, I've been careening around <laughs> here from place to place. And I mean, I, I love in some ways it's great. Like, I, I do love dealing with new things and I think I am particularly adaptable. So that's that's good for me. But it's also, of course, you know, totally lacking in any kind of security. Sure. And, you know, I, I, I do want to talk about your, you know, treatise here. Your, are we calling it a manifesto? What, do you, what are we going to call it? Uh, I wouldn't call it a manifesto. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I like 20,000 word pieces, but like, it, I mean, really, it's, uh, I, I mean, it's just a book length essay, basically. It's an essay. It, it's an essay in the truest sense. I'm trying to make sense of something. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is fascinating, this, this, um, circuitous path that you've had as a, as an author and talk. I mean, you had mentioned doing, doing the, um, audio narrative stuff. Talk a little bit about that because I did it go from a podcast to an audible 
original or, um, and, and I guess I'm talking about how not to fuck up your kids too your bad. Kids too bad. That <laughs> yeah, I did that. That was just an audible series, like essentially an audio book, but in podcast form. Um, and we did it twice and it was really, really fun. But I think of that as also like, right. You know, I think of myself as an essayist basically. And, um, what I do is I try to write essays and, and one, and we're writing for the phone now, just like what we're having a conversation now, it'll be listened to on people's phones. And like, I think that, that, that particular kind of, like in, in a sense, those 10, the 10 pieces in each of those audible series are basically just essays on domestic life, um, just in an audio form. I love it. So yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been definitely an interesting path for you. Um, and I, I do want to talk about what you are cooking up currently and what you got in the, in the hopper for the future. But presently, we are talking about on writing and failure, this book-length essay. Yeah, so despite some goofy um technical difficulties uh yeah i want to keep i want to keep it rolling on writing and failure and um yeah i mean because i think what what you're really talking about i mean and aside from covering very well the history of writerly failure um talk a little bit about the genesis of of this essay and of course i will point at the book and and your home base there stephenmarsh.com but um the essay is available uh now and um i guess i guess it was published on the 14th uh it was published on valentine's day any any uh yeah that pure coincidence (laughs) i think neither my publisher nor i know it remembering that it was uh valentine's day (laughs) a love letter to the yeah love letter um but yeah talk talk a little bit i don't know if you want to pick up on your last thought but talk about the kind of the genesis of this uh, love letter, you know, I, um, for many years, I sort of, sort of kept in my mind and even in a small notebook, some of these stories that are in this book, because I kind of felt that, you know, people tell you a lot of like writer struggles and then they succeed stories. And I've never found those very useful. Like those are not the ones that sort of keep you going. Like it's, it's, they, they kind of make you feel like, well, like what's wrong with me? Whereas I think the stories that really made me feel better about myself were, you know, you know, knowing that James Joyce couldn't get a job at a technical college in Italy. Like they could, they refused his qualifications. They didn't, they did They were not satisfied that he knew how to write English, uh, James Joyce, or right. that Herman Melville, like, you know, basically wrote a better book every time he went out and got less and less for it every time until he ended up you know, basically self-publishing a zine and having a novel in his drawer. And, you know, that these stories are actually really quite, quite common indeed. Um, and that, and that sort of everyone feels them like they're not, they're not the kind of things where there's some people who get to a certain place and then they feel like they've succeeded. And that's that, like, that's not part of the picture. So I, knowing that provided me, you know, paradoxically with a kind of solace, if you will. Yeah. And uh, I, I definitely get that from from the work because um, there is a, you know, there is kind of a running theme, obviously, that, you know, right, that writers are living, that live the struggle. The pointlessness is the point, right? And there's a lot of that kind of message in the book, but there's also a tongue-in-cheek 
piece to it that's very, very entertaining. I, I found myself smiling throughout. I don't know if that was your intention. Even though it's quite depressing, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the thing about the book. It's like it's stories of writers it all working out, I don't think make anybody feel better. Right. right? Um, it, it's really about more like what this is really like. And there are lots of books that'll, you know, make you feel better about writing, but I, I've never found any of them very useful. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> well, I mean, there's so many there are so many great pieces here, uh, you know, within the, the greater essay. But um yeah, I mean, you're talking about kind of the perseverance required and obviously the multiple rejections that every author, if, if, if they decide to go down this uh, perilous path is going to face. But yeah, um, I thought one very apt um, comparison was the comparing it to like having a failed haberdashery versus selling t-shirts out of the trunk of your car. That's you know, right. <laughs> the good news is the successful writers are uh, people who own a failing haberdashery that everyone else is selling, uh, selling t-shirts out of the back of your car. That is a good metaphor, isn't it? <laughs> I thought that was pretty, pretty, uh, apropos. Pretty apt, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's what it feels like. But yeah. Uh, so are, do you feel like that coming, coming to this, like, I mean, I don't know. Did you write this feeling like this is something that every young writer should, like it should be required reading in, you know, like creative writing, whatever, 101. Oh, I don't, I mean, I don't really believe in required write, reading, but I do think that, I mean, it is definitely there to give people comfort, right? Like, I'm, I'm not sure it's super necessarily a useful text. Like, it's not like Strunk and White, where it's like, well, you probably should have this if you want to. Um, but if you actually want to know what the writing life is like, as opposed to, you know, what the writing life is like for Stephen King. Um, we, you know, it, like this is sort of a, a, a frank guide, right? I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say cynical because I don't think it is cynical, but it's a sort of frank guide to what it actually takes to do this. <laughs> okay. A frank guide. I like it. I mean, I would honestly think that the writers that have looked at it have, have loved it. And I've been very, you know, I've been very pleased with that. You know, that, that seems to me like, like, I think I, like a lot of writers feel like, oh yeah, this, this, this book kind of gets it. And I'm, I, I'm flattered by that. I think it would be useful for a kid writer for sure. I mean, I don't think anything's required reading though. Okay. Well, I think to, um, to writers that may, you know, have feel like maybe they've hit a, a brick wall of sorts, you know, like, like, like they've just, you know, they've de- dealt with so much rejection or or heartbreak or whatever it may be that they're th- thinking about throwing down their quill, as it were. Um, this might be a really good reminder that they're in good company. Well, yeah, I mean, and also like, I I, I take comfort from the fact that it'll never go away. Right, like that seems to me like very essential to remember. It's like if you want to do this, this is the cost of doing business, right? It's not, it's not the kind of thing where it's like, this is, you're going to do this temporarily and then it'll all work out. It's like, actually, you're always going to feel this way. I mean, the opening story is like Philip Roth telling a story and it's like, yeah, even Philip Roth felt it. in my experience, the more successful people are, the more they feel it. But, um, you know, that may just be the people that I know. Uh, I, I just think it's good to know, like, this is the cost of doing, like, if you want to do this, you're going to have the shit kicked out of you. Like that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
And I do love that that opening story about how you came to that Philip Roth <laughs> quote. And I think, I mean, you can, you can retell it here because it, it really is literally the first. Well, it's just, I mean, it was just a little thing where I was having drinks. I, you know, this kid writer asked me, like, does it ever get any easier? Like, do you ever get a thicker skin? And I, you know, I really didn't know what to tell her because, you know, there's no really good answers. And I was having drinks with Nathan Englander, who's a, you know, great short story writer and novelist. And he moved into my neighborhood. And uh, I said, you know, do you, did it ever get any easier for you? And he was like, you know, I once asked Philip Roth, like, does it ever get any easier? Like, do you ever develop a thicker skin? And uh, Philip Roth said to him, you never get a thicker skin. In fact, your skin gets thinner and thinner until they can see right through you. (laughs) Right. And so it's like, and it's like, right. It's like, I mean, I kind of already knew this, but it is very obvious that like people just don't like, there's no point where you reach where you feel comfortable. And you feel like you've made it. Like that just that just is not what happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. As you put it, uh, I thought it was also apt. Um, nobody needs a manuscript. <laughs> Well, you know, that's what, we're always like, well, this book was rejected like 30 times. And I'm like, well, why, like nobody, why would you be even moderately surprised by that? Like no, nobody, nobody needs them. Like salespeople go through hell to sell, you know, phones, well, people, which people like actually need. Right. <laughs> and, and like, like nobody actually needs like your, your short stories. Like they just, they, they, they really, really don't, uh, you know, so I think there's also like a little bit of like, yeah, like let's, let's get in touch with reality a bit here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or in your words, the world does not particularly like writers. No, no, the world, I mean, that like you only ever see writers in their moments of success. Right. Yeah. And um, like, that's just, that's just one of the, those kind of the features of this game really. And, uh, like, but that's not, that's not really where this is. Like most of the time it's actually quite, you know, it's dark, you're in dark woods. For sure. I, I think it's very interesting in that. And, and given kind of the, kind of some of the light that's been shown on Hemingway and his life and work more recently, you know, has proven that, that he was, you know, you, you mentioned Hemingway and kind of like how he had a very high opinion of himself. Whereas um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, was kind of the opposite and they ended up kind of where they both felt that they should. But uh, I thought it was really interesting finding out more about Hemingway's life and, and how, yeah, he, he really, I mean, it's really hard to find any film of him, like, in you know, appearing in public or making public appearances. He was really pretty, pretty camera shy. Yeah, I've never seen that. Although, I mean, he definitely allowed people to take photographs of him. I think they just didn't want to film him. Uh, you know, he was he, like, he was, I mean, he was, um, I went to this, uh, at Finca in Cuba, uh, but for Esquire in like, I want to say 2012, somewhere, somewhere around there. And it was, it was interesting how, like how big he lived. I mean, you know, he really had, um, quite a collection of, um, of 
like he had a pool where uh, movie stars were swimming in it and he had a big boat and he did live a glamorous life. But, you know, on the other hand, he did he did um, spend more, you know, his wife's money all the time. Like that's how he that's how he got by. And there's a famous story about his his wife was Maggie Gellhorn and they had to they got divorced because um, there was some there was some story like I think it was like some earthquake in Ethiopia and, and Time magazine called her first to see if she wanted to go cover it. And she said, no, I'm doing other things. And then, and then they called him, like they called him in the next room. And after that, he really, he couldn't take it. <laughs> that was, that was it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, yeah, I mean, there are some really, I think, important messages here and you know how I thought that the Dostoevsky, um, reminder about, yeah, sometimes these great works rise from really, really terrible things that happen. Yeah, around. they really do. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, do you have any, you know, just kind of before we um, wrap up any, any just, I don't know. I mean, I, I would encourage writers of any, you know, kind of at any stages of their career to pick up on writing and failure. It really is a, it really is a, a, a great reminder, but also a very um, well-written and entertaining read. Thank, thank you. But um, yeah, any, any kind of like, final takeaways for writers about on writing and failure. And, um, I don't know, just kind of, again, what your, what your ultimate goal was. You know, I think like at one point in the book, I say like good writers offer advice, bad, you know, great writers offer condolences. <laughs> and that's really my, that's like my, um, my big takeaway, I guess, is that, you know, it's, it's more about like, I think one thing to to that this book is about is that this is supposed to be hard, right? It's 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 not supposed to be easy. It's actually supposed to be quite difficult, and you know, like, but I, and yet still worth doing even despite these difficulties. So, like, I think that would be that would be my takeaway. Like, you have my condolences, and it's still worth doing. I love it. Yeah, and that is the big great reminder. It is still worth doing, and these are. I think important insights just into why we choose this life. But um, yeah, really appreciate your time, your wisdom, and I'd, lo I'd love to have you back and talk uh, more about whatever you want, um, Shakespeare or um, whatever. But um, yeah, what do you, uh, before we kind of sign off here, what do you, and I got a fun question for you too, which would be kind of silly if so much knowledge, but what are you, what are you working on now or what do you got uh, cooking? What do you got in the hopper? Um, I got a lot of interesting things. I'm I'm gonna publish a um, political thriller that I co-wrote with Andrew Yang, like of the Yang Gang, in September. Um, and I'm currently working on uh, an AI novel, like a novel co-written by AI. So both of those things are both like you know I said I was having a weird career, like yeah. um like I I am legitimately having a weird career. Uh, but they're both really exciting and ran really super interesting. That's very cool. Um, well, I would love to chat about either, especially um, the AI uh, novel, which, you know, right now couldn't be a more, a more interesting time for AI. So that sounds pretty cool. But yeah, come back and wrap with us. Yeah, so for sure. A, a final fun one for you. Uh, if you could have any author from any era to dinner or drinks at your favorite spot in the world, who would you take? Where would you take them? 
Um, I'd take William Shakespeare. I mean, I did my PhD on Shakespeare, so it would really probably have to be him. And I'd take him to Stan's in Washington. Great bar. All right. He'd love it. He'd love that kind of place. In D.C.? In D.C., yeah. Would, uh, would Andrew Yang join you? Probably, yeah. But Stan's, you know, your company finds you at Stan's. Like, it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's an extremely friendly place. <laughs> okay. So that'd probably be some eavesdroppers there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, Stephen. Hey, we appreciate your time and um, definitely come back in the future and we'll catch up again soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. <laughs>